to the In The Round podcast. You got Matt and Boudreaux hanging out. And today we have a very special guest joining us. It is Mr. Benji Coward. Benji, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Do, doing well. It's 2020, so doing about as good as we all can be doing. <laughs> you, you know the drill. You right. get it, man. You get it. Oh, what, have yeah. you been, what have you been up to? How's your, how's your uh, 2020 been here in uh, the great city of Nashville? Man, it's been for me. It's been uh, it's been good. Like the whole rhythm. Like unfortunately, being a writer, um, I've actually done a lot of writing through all this. Because one of the cool things. That, I mean, it's not cool for the artists, but it's like because they're right now they're not doing a lot of touring. They just have time to be creating content. So some of that's been good of just uh, having ac- having uh, access to a lot of artists here in town. Um, you know, and then beyond that, like just in normal life, just trying to. You do this whole uh, in school, like Zoom school thing, which my kids like that. You just it's we're about to have like a full blown prison ride in my house. Um, they're going <laughs> they're back at school now, but they're you know, they're kind of talking that they may go back to doing stuff from home. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, it's it's got to be tough as a as a parent. And I mean, if, if as a as I know you have the, the professor background as well and do the teaching stuff. I mean, it's it's an interesting time to be doing anything that involves, like, personal interaction and whatnot. I mean, me and Tyler see it with not being able to be on the road a whole lot this year and uh, just got to try to make the most of a situation, you know? I know. I mean, it's like, and it is. It's like, the good thing is we'll all be able to tell our grandkids. We went through a pandemic and uh, we're mostly normal, but not most, you know, with a few twitches, but mostly normal on the other side of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. So, um, so you're actually the first. Um, is it is it considered worship music, Christian music? I mean, like you're the first like non-country, non-pop guy that we have had on here, which is really cool because it's a world I know nothing really about. I've learned a whole lot about it being down here in Tennessee and learned yeah. a whole lot about just how big it is. And people think of Nashville as the country music hub, but it is just as much the the worship contemporary Christian Christian rock hub as well, which is interesting. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, it's funny because it's, it's actually always healthy. Like I, I was telling you earlier, I lived in Buffalo for seven years. So it's I think it's really healthy to to know where your place in the pie is. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like you go. Yeah, I mean, just be honest. Christian artists in places like New York and other places like no one have any idea who they are, and so you kind of go like, you might be a real big deal in this industry, but you're a big deal in a like tiny, tiny sliver. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's a very healthy kind of thing of going like, let's be honest. Like, if you're going into this to be a big deal, then go pick another genre. Yeah. Um, but if you want to write music that's something you really believe in and something you really believe that might change change a situation for somebody and, and you know, with radio or with worship music, you know, your hope is that I can be a part of something that's bigger than me. And, uh, you know, because we're fortunately we're blessed to be able to make a living. But, you know, you have a hit song in Christian music. It's not the same money as uh, having a hit song in country music. Um, and so, you know, it's like. But at the same time, it's a blessing to get to do what you love and actually be able to pay the bills doing it. Yeah, yeah for sure. Ab- absolutely, man. And something that I've kind of noticed, and we'll get into your backstory here in a minute, but something that popped in my head because we were, we were jamming a lot of it. Me, me and Tyler here were running around doing doing errands as we usually do on our podcast days. We pop out for lunch and then realize all the other things we need to do while we're out of the house here in 2020. Um, there seems to be like maybe more on like the countryside, like because we were we were listening to a lot of a lot of stuff that, that you've had cut and things like that. Well, your big daddy weave cuts. A, a lot of the big daddy yeah. weave cuts. 
that's what Big Daddy Weave. That stuff's pretty cool. I, w- I was jamming to it earlier and stuff. Um, again, not something I didn't grow up with, but it seems like a lot of what was coming out of the worship world in the mid two thousands, even like post twenty ten. It, that kind of like melody, that kind of production style and like just the feel of the song is starting to cross over into country and maybe it has for a while, but like I was, I was hearing a lot of those hooks and stuff and I'm like that, that sounds like a lot of what's on country radio now. So for you as a, as somebody who's more in that Christian world, what, what do you feel kind of the same way or do you feel like there's those crossovers and stuff? Well, it's funny you say that. Cause like when I lived in Buffalo, everybody thought I was like, cause I, you know, I would just lead worship and they're like, you sound like a country Chris Tomlin. And like, <laughs> I grew up in Nashville, so I like I'm going like I don't think I sound country at all. But you know, it's like you can you can have your own reality in your head all you want to, but when everybody around you says oh, you sound like you're singing country, so it's made me really aware of like I think some of it is the rootsiness of what a lot of Christian music does, and absolutely like you know I was born and raised in the South, so it's and I was one of those kids actually until. I hated country music and I lived in Hendersonville up until about nineties country. And then I absolutely fell in love. So when you get like Vince Gill and you get all these different, you know, and even Garth Brooks and everybody's like, Garth Brooks is a sellout. But like, when I go back and listen to his hits album, I'm like, that's some of the best songs I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, so I'm one of those people like, you know, you get like diamond Rio and just when I go back, I'm just like, if you don't, if you don't believe that nineties country is the best country, we're not friends. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm a little biased. I'm a little old school, but it's like, but that's kind of, that's what I fell in love with. And some of it was, and I mean, it's funny because it's, it's a lot like Christian where it was just pop enough to be accessible to a lot of people. Cause like I kind of, where I checked out was some of the old, old country. Um, I kind of had to go back and grow to love basically Waylon and Willie and, and some of those guys. And now I really appreciate him. Cause I'm kind of like, you know, when Merle Haggard was playing a bar, there's a chance that he was the baddest dude in the bar. <laughs> yeah. And you just don't have that much anymore. So you don't, so it's like, even with, with country, with country artists, a lot of times I'm like, I don't know if I believe that guy because now Stapleton, I believe anything that comes out of his mouth. Yeah. For and sure. sometimes, and honestly, it's, it's that way. I feel like that bleeds over to Christian. I mean, there's some people where I hear them, and um, you know, you're kind of like, you really like for a great example, big daddy weave, like Mike Weaver, that dude, his, his love for Jesus just kind of bleeds out of him. It's it's real. It's who he is. It's a real deal. But I think when you hear people, I think one of the things that's going to come through, and I think maybe that's one of the similarities in the two genres of music, is authenticity. Like you, you know when somebody's telling their story, and you know when they're not. You know when they're just writing a really slick song or singing a really slick song, and you're like, well, yeah, this is really cool, but I'm not sure if, if I believe that they've experienced any of that. Yeah, yeah, and I like Absolutely. it. You know. Obviously, like we have a little bit of history being in a classroom together, and I remember you at times preaching that to us in a classroom. Is like tell your story, don't don't kind of tell anything that you don't know. And I feel like you know if you're trying to do that in both genres, like you said, like it it shows real quick. Yeah, people sniff you out quick. Oh, uh, absolutely. So now backing up, so you do you claim the title of being a unicorn? What is the unicorn? You're born. Well, it depends, that has so many. Oh yeah, actually yes. Yes. So you're born and raised here in Nashville. You're not like myself or Tyler or any of the hundreds or at this point probably thousands of people that have moved here um, to Nashville. So you were born and raised here. Um, I was con- born born in Baptist Hospital when it was Baptist. It's St. Thomas now Baptist Hospital in downtown Nashville. Yeah. Lived Old lived school. in Hendersonville my entire life. Went to Belmont College, and it wasn't till a year after my wife and I were married that we went in the ministry, and then we lived like. 
we lived for 15 years. We lived all over the country um, and lived away. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I am as local as you can get as far as being raised here. Yeah. So what's um real quick sidebar where we always like to get in the food with, with me and Tyler hot chicken go to, where is it? You know what? That's a good question. Cause I came in, I like, we moved back. Let's see. When I came and started chicken at Trevecca was probably 2013. Yeah. 2013. And so we moved back, and I was asking the same questions you were. I kind of came back a tourist because, like, we got ripped off. Like, when we left Nashville, I'm telling you, like, you didn't go downtown. Like, you Broadway, you didn't go down there. East Nashville, you didn't – like, if you lived over there, like, that was – that was it was the hood. Yeah. Um, and so it was so – moving back here, I'm like, I can't believe how much they got done downtown and the, the food scene that's here now. Like it was never here when I was like in college. I feel so ripped off. Like I go back to Belmont. I'm like, we had like a high school version of what Belmont is now. Yeah, I remember like whenever I came and visited Trebekah at first, like I was looking for places to eat. And I remember like review after review after review of like Nashville is like it's not a food city. It doesn't have good food. And then like that was early 2013, and by the time I moved here, late 2013, like it had completely Dude, you hit it changed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You hit it right, I, and I still, honestly, my my favorite place still to go is Satco. Okay, yeah, Satco's like a good. There's a I highly recommend the combination of their because after living in Buffalo, they're the only place in town that has what I think are credible buffalo wings. Okay, because I'm now a wing snob, man. I don't I don't play around <laughs> yeah, with that. Hey, but, yeah, yeah, when you're living in Buffalo, New York, you learn a couple things. You learn that the Bills have a hard time winning. Knock on wood, this year might be their year. You this learn. You learn that that a snow shovel and a snow um, snow plow and snowmobile, all that stuff is very useful. You all get snow like no other, and you learn what great chicken wings are—not just good chicken wings, but like oh, the best of the best like in Buffalo. Everything you hope, everything you would hope a chicken wing could be, you will find in Buffalo. <laughs> that more so, like it will fulfill your wildest chicken wing dreams. Yeah. So, what was that experience for you, being a being a native Southerner and going? I mean. You said you lived, you bounced all around in a ministry with yeah. what you and your wife did. You experienced a lot. What was going to a place like Buffalo and some other places like for you? Did you ever feel like a culture shock or anything like that? What was no, the first I, place you went after? So we went, we left, uh, we left Nashville. And first we went to Fort Worth, Texas to go to seminary. And that, that was, I mean, that's almost very similar cultures, very yeah. similar. Um, it was cool to be down there. Obviously you have a huge Hispanic population. So it was, it was kind of cool to just, be immersed in that and kind of just see like just the coexistence there. And, and so then we moved from Fort Worth, we moved to Florida. So Florida is a whole different animal because Florida on the coast is like lower New York, which we were on the coast. But if you go into, uh, we're down about 30, we're in Northport, which is about 30, 45 minutes South of Sarasota on the uh, West coast. Yeah. But it's funny because man, if you go into like central Florida, it's like deliverance, redneck, Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like a whole different level of country. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but you know, so we so we experienced a little bit of that northern thing. But you know, once you once people move to Florida, like your northerners are all chill. They're in retirement mode. Oh, so they're yeah, so yeah. they're just chilled out. Like you kind of drive at your own risk because of all the people that have moved down there and probably shouldn't be driving. <laughs> um, and then so from Florida, like we moved, it almost sounds like we were running from the law, but I promise we're not. Um, <laughs> We moved from Florida to we went out to Las Vegas and lived for a year and a half at a church plant, which that was 
the cool thing about Vegas is the people that live in Vegas are really normal. It's all the people that go there that act like absolute idiots. And so, you know, so we really like, we, we got to be, we were only there for a year and a half. Um, we took a year out of ministry, moved from there, went to Atlanta, Georgia for a year. And we were basically just getting ourselves sane again. Uh, just basically took a year out of ministry, but then we moved to Buffalo for seven years. So Buffalo is still like, I, I always laugh. Because growing up, like, man, I always felt a little awkward around the good old boy culture. Um, whereas when I lived in Buffalo, I'm like, I think I'm like a New Yorker at heart. Because we'd have people, like people in my church, first time I'd meet them, they'd walk up and insult me to my face. And then be like, you want to go to dinner? And I'm like, <laughs> this is so weird. And then they would be like, they would be your friends for life. Oh, yeah. And so when people just told you like it was, and I'm like, I think this is who I am. Because I don't <laughs> like, I, that's kind of the way I'm wired. I'm not, the, I don't have a lot of tact. I just sort of shoot pretty straight most of the time. And I was like, these people, like, and even the one, you know, I had one, I mean, like, there were a couple people in my church that just straight up, right away, like, made it very clear they didn't like me. Yeah. But I was kind of like, cool. I know where I stand. Like, you don't like me. I don't necessarily like you either. It's all, it's all good. Like, we'll just stay away from each so, other. So when you're going around and stuff, so you're, you're going and you're working at like a local church. So you're bouncing yeah. from spot to spot. What's that adjustment period like? Because I mean, like when we go out, when we go out on tour, we're in one city and then we're in the next city and then we're back yeah. in Nashville. For you, you all are spending years at a time with a congregation, yeah. growing with the people of these of of this church of this parish. What's that experience like? That's a great. I mean, that's because where I've landed. It's a great question because where I've landed for anybody who's moved around, I'm just like, look, give yourself t- at least two years before it even remotely feels like home. And even then, that's where it just begins. Like, so like when you say, you know, you move here and it takes you a you know, year and a half, you're like, man, I'm really just not meeting people. I'm like, you just hadn't been here long enough. Like, it's going to take at least two years before any place just be like, all right, this is where I'm at. I know I'm just starting to feel like my place now. <laughs> Some places are faster. Like we were down. We went. So after Buffalo, we moved down to Nashville. We were here for four years. And that was Tyler's where I was teaching and met Tyler. Um I was a full-time songwriter and teaching in college. And then we took two more years on staff at a church down in New Orleans. And then, and we, and just moved back probably a year ago. And so like my biggest regret and all that is like, we've moved our kids around a lot. And so we're, you know, it's just a, it's the unsettling and resettling and, and they've done really well with it. But I'm like, man, I, like I grew up in Hendersonville. I literally from kindergarten all the way through high school was with the same group of people. And so I'm like, I wish my kids could have had that. And it's, you know, it's just not the way our story played out. But, but yeah, it's, you get to a place you're like, all right, I'm done making new friends. I will not make another new set of friends again. Um, (laughs) I'm done moving. I will never move my house again. Uh, So you get to a place where, man, you're just weary of it. You're, you kind of just, and you start really valuing those friendships that have been around a long time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you guys know what it's like when you go home. I mean, do you guys both kind of stay in the same place for most of your childhood? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, most of it. So, you know, it's when you get around people who've known you since you were a little punk kid. <laughs> yeah. And there's just something about that where you're like, there's nothing like this. Is, this is this is good. Like, I went when I went to my 10-year reunion, it was just so good to be around people who didn't know me as a pastor. They didn't call me Pastor Benji. And I was like, man, these guys all knew me when I was just an insecure, you know, insecure middle schooler with a perm. <laughs> the perm days okay yeah dude okay. like i don't like there was there was a season in my life where like i don't know if there was a lack of male intervention or something or my dad just didn't like my dad i don't know if he, he should have stepped in and said like no you're gonna get the crap beat out of you don't get a perm <laughs> oh man so talking about kids real quick um you um tyler had shown this to me 
you did a pretty cool little take on the song "Rude" that came out. I believe it was a few years back. That, yeah. was, that was pretty. That was pretty funny. And I don't have a kid yet. I, you know, Tyler doesn't have a kid yet either. But I would say, if as a father, I would I would want the same kind of things as you you re, as those lyrics that you rewrote. You know. Yeah, it's funny because like I, that joke. I mean, totally that song. That whole thing was tongue in cheek and a joke. But there Absolutely. is. It's like. When I first heard that song, because I mean, one of actually I started listening to it because it was one of my buddies like, you got to hear the guitar solo because the guitar tone on that is just it's from the heavens. Um, yeah. But when I heard, you know, like I'm gonna marry her anyway, I was like, oh no 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 no, like <laughs> uh-uh. that's my daughter, and I had some punk kid tell me that like I'm gonna disappear you. <laughs> That's where I mean, you know, this being from New York, you're like, I, I'm not a mobster, but man, something rose up in me that would be. You're like, oh, but I'm dude. about to, oh. I'm about to be. Oh, for sure, man. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm, and now that you went to Louisiana and you're the swamp and stuff, you could even make it even more a possibility. <laughs> oh, there's a lot, there's a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, you'd be like, you'd be, you'll be a gator snack, bro, and no one will ever know what happens. There's, there's a lot of places to have someone swimming with the fishies. That's for dang sure. Um, that's right. So, how'd you really get into songwriting and stuff? So, you were doing this ministry stuff. How'd you end up becoming Benji Cowart, the the published songwriter with with big hits in the worship world? How'd that come to be? Um, man, I was always writing. Like I, I had always like even as a little kid, uh, I kind of like initially when I was a kid, I was like, I, I want to be an artist someday or want to do something. Because I mean, I grew up around the music business. I grew up. My dad early, early on was involved with a company called the Benson Company, uh, which was a label that eventually got bought out and got bought out. And now is part of Capital. Yeah. Um. So I was around cr- even Christian music early on. Um. And you know, from a, as a kid, I always wanted to do it. So you know, it's funny how my my two nevers were. God, I'll do anything you want, but I won't go to seminary and I won't be in ministry. And so it's, you know, of course, God has a sense of humor. But uh, <laughs> but I realized, like, when I, when I went and did those things, it was kind of cool because, one, the job that I thought I'd be taking was never the job that I was so scared of. Like, I always thought I'd be, like, at a Baptist church conducting a choir. And if that's your thing, there's nothing wrong with that. But I was like, that's not my thing. Um, and But every church I was at, I kind of got to do the thing that I love to do. And I, I really feel like that what I thought was a detour was actually what prepared me to come to town and be a songwriter because I just spent 15 years. I mean, that's you know when you're when you're at churches, you're in people's you should be in people's lives. You should know their stories, and you you kind of just begin to go like, man, when people are you know when you get a lady who's got cancer, you start kind of getting a real picture of okay, what does she need to sing in church? Because we can't be throwing this you know put a bow on everything and it's good life's awesome and Jesus is going to fix it all. Because sometimes he doesn't. Um, and so understanding even those kind of things of like, I don't know why God doesn't choose to fix this. Does it mean he's not good? No, but, uh, you know, so sometimes even writing songs where you let people say, I don't know. Like, I don't, I trust that you're good, but I have no idea why this is going on right now. And so that's, you know, and that's where it's like when you start walking in people's stories, you start really realizing what are people really saying and what do I really need to say in a song? Because I feel like when you write songs to the church, you're writing prayers for people. And you're helping them say things that they don't even know how to say. And so, it's, but you can't do that unless you really know people's stories and you're kind of walking in their story with them. Yeah, no, that that's some deep stuff right there. And I mean, with with writing in in Christian music, how for you? I mean, how does I mean, like changing the messages? I mean, faith is a whole other level. It's a whole oh. different thing from say writing writing the writing the song that for back home in New York is on like Z100 or Q1043 or any of these big radio stations or or any any of that stuff like you're you're really you're you're getting in touch with people's 
like inner innermost most top shelf beliefs and you're also expressing yours i mean that that's got to be kind of difficult at times yeah it is well you know we've all heard the saying like when you go to family reunion don't talk religion and don't talk politics um you're tr- you're exactly right man you're treading on some of the deepest most inmost convictions that people have so like with christian music you certainly I do think you really you have to know the Bible. You have to know kind of you really have to understand because you don't you know you've got to understand that because it's almost like those are the those are the parameters that you've got to have your conversations in. If that makes sense. So I definitely feel like when we're writing Christian music, I do feel like we have we have maybe we have our own boxes. Just like country music has its it has its own boxes. Like there are certain things. Uh, I love that the boxes are expanding. Um, but, you know, even in uh, Casey Musgraves, like, I still know it's a country song. Yeah. He just does it brilliantly. Um, and with Christian music, like, we, we, yeah, we have, we have, I think, Tyler, I think I did this with you all, but it's like, because I can gripe and complain about how we have more, we have more limitations, but it's like, but man, if me and Picasso both had a piece of paper and a pencil, I'm pretty sure the outcome would be very different between the two of us of what we would come out with. Right. And so it's like, it's just, it's just what can you do within the boundaries of what you're given? So with, you know, we definitely have like, there's certain language that we use a lot in the church. Now that doesn't mean we don't try to push that because there's sometimes where I'm like, you know, have you ever heard a Christian song where you're kind of like, I feel like they just took a Christian Mad Lib and just inserted different church words. And even though it don't make sense, they're just, you know, you hear this song, you're like, you just put a bunch of worship words in and made this a worship song and nobody even knows what it means. Don't uh the whole don't rhyme grace with face. Yeah, <laughs> we've got to have fire. We've got to have water. Um, <laughs> so you know, and I think I've, you've heard me say it, but I also go, but there is a reason we talk about water and we talk about bread and we talk about fire as it relates to God. Because then I'm like, but yeah, go two or three weeks without any of those three and see how that works out for you. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely, man. Now, in terms of like Christian music and stuff too, I mean, I feel like it's there's not just the the contemporary Christian stuff. Like something I didn't really know about is how hard and heavy the riffs of like Christian rock bands, like say like <laughs> Audio Adrenaline and bands like that, Skillet, all Skillet. Those. Like I didn't yeah. really identify those as like Christian bands growing up and whatnot. But you talk about these boxes and whatnot. It's like there's these like how many subgenres do you think there are within worship or within Christian music? Because there's got to be quite a few. Yeah, there, it's funny because in the in the heyday there was like Christian ska and there was Christian <laughs> metal and there was Christian like and I feel like there's less of it now, um, but I think that's also just because the industry because of you know it's like nobody was ready for when all the streaming and when Napster and all that came in so the like the whole music industry all of it shrunk. So because of that, I don't know if you like if there are those genres, I don't hear as much about them. One of the things I am excited about, though, is the what the possibilities of Spotify could do for Christian music. Because then you don't have, uh, you know, obviously, I would love for Spotify to pay writers better. But the freedom um, of not having as many gatekeepers as to what, you know, Spotify, I do feel like, is the Wild West for songs. Because, man, a great song with great production is going to find its way out there in Spotify. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, the band that we work with now is kind of proving that point because they're completely independent uh and they've got over a million listener monthly listeners right now and you know they've never been with a label or anything like that and they're kind of proving there's a lot of people that me and matt kind of run with that do our writers rounds and stuff like that that are proving like you don't 
you don't have the gatekeepers now that you had in the days past. <clears throat> and like, if you want to find something, you can go out and you can find what you like. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and you find your people. I mean, and the cool thing is, is there, you can't really even define it. Like I consider what Johnny swim does is Christian music. Yeah. Um, and you know, like even need to breathe, need to breathe. You might hear him pop up on the radio, but a majority of what's on the record is like this, its own thing. Um, you know, and I'm here in country, man, there's country bands out there right now, kind of in the outlaw country world that those dudes, they don't, they'll never get an, uh, they'll never get a song on radio and they are making millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. And again, because whether you agree with them or not, man, they're, they are authentic. Yeah, they're we, just telling their story and people, some people don't like it. Some people do, but you know that you're like, they're not trying, they're not selling out. That's for sure. Yeah, dude. Real recognizes real. That's something that we like to say on here a lot. Yeah, you know, like absolutely. real, real really does recognize real. So for you growing up, did you grow up listening to a lot of, a lot of that, that worship style music, or did you grow up listening to a lot of stuff that was in the secular kind of world? Like who were some big influences for you as, as Benji, the kid with the perm jamming some music in his whatever, <laughs> whatever car, maybe an El Camino, maybe a Pinto. I don't know what you were driving. <laughs> I was driving a Ford Escort GT, baby. Hey. Oh yeah. Um, with ground effects, by the way. Hey, um, of course. So, like, what I, it's funny because what I grew up, I had different phases because I definitely grew up on Christian music. Um, but I also grew up like me and my brother, my older brother, we grew up on rap when rap first was a thing. Like, like going back to like run, or like Curtis Blow, Run DMC, um, uh, what is it? Uh, Jam Master? No. Grandmaster Flash? Grandmaster Flash, yeah. Like, just that, like, we just, we were like, you know, we're typically with whatever the white suburban kid obsession with rap were, was, we were that kid. Like, we would literally put the office plastic out in the driveway and we were break dancing. And so it's <laughs> like, like, I came up on that. Like, there was this pop thing that I couldn't get enough of. You know, and then, back, you know, one of the things I loved about early Christian music is it wasn't a production based genre, it was a lyric based genre. So, you get like about five different genres show up on Christian radio. So you'd get like a Christian rap band that would then get played by like a borderline Southern gospel group behind, you know, it's like, and I think that's what attracted me to Christian music early on. Cause that's, you know, but I was also listening. I actually had to go back and catch up though later as a musician, just on just great music period. So, you know, going back and understanding why, why, what was so great about Toto, what was so great about Pete, uh, Pete Townsend, what was so great about the police. Because um, I didn't grow up on that, and I kind of was like, dang, I wish I had wish I had been a little more into some of that just because of it, you know, widens your widens your depth. and Or actually, why, you can't widen your depth. It deepens your depth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, and that's, again, something we talk about with Spotify and it really kind of being the Wild West. You can go back and listen to anything. If you want to go back yeah. and listen to Frank Sinatra, he's there. You want to go yeah. back and listen to early Stevie Nicks, she's there, you know? Yeah. So you yeah. can really dive in, and, and it opens up. You don't just have to flip on an oldie station or be riding around the car with your grandma or grandpa to hear the old classics, you know? You can really go right. out and explore. Yeah, man. And it's like, and I've actually, I've done that with certain artists. Cause I'm just, you know, you'll hear people just swear by an artist. And so I'll just go live there for a while and see if I get it. Yeah. You know, when, when I was, when I was living in Louisiana, I was driving back and forth at least twice a month, um, in a seven hour drive. So I remember there's, there was a, there was a Bruce Springsteen drive where that's, I just w took a deep dive and that's what I listened to for a long time. <laughs> Dang. And we're just going, okay, I get it now. I get it. Like I, you know, cause sometimes with him, I was always like, hey, I don't know if I get it. 
But then, you know, hearing what he does live and then actually listening as a writer, listen to his lyrics and going like, oh, my gosh, this dude is he's a freak of nature. Yeah, dude, for sure. And now you talk about about live and stuff. Something I've yet, I mean, I've experienced it a little bit. And I mean, I say a little bit because I've been to like a modern day, like contemporary Christian, like non-denominational service, which I thought was like, which I thought was awesome. Because for me growing up, I grew up in a very like formatted, like basically the Catholic churches or the uh, Episcopal church is like the Catholic church, but you can smoke and there's no confession booth. You know, it's like, (laughs) that's that's how, that's how, that's how my buddy, that's how um, somebody described it to me recently. Um, but um, what's, amazing. what's a live Christian show like or something like Winter Jam or some of these like big events within like the worship music scene and stuff? There, the cool thing about um, one of the really cool things I think about, especially the, with the way that the worship vibe kind of crept in is one of the cool things that does that does happen at a Christian music concert that I think is amazing is it's a fully interactive like everybody sings along because some of that is just comes with the worship dynamic. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, one of the things like, and I, this is one of my, this is one of my soapboxes when I was the worship leader at a church and bands are hitting me up to come to my church. There was part of me that said, if you're not, a, if you're not a better musician than the musicians I have on stage, why would I bring you in? Yeah. And that sounds harsh, but I'm, but I'm kind of like, man, one thing I miss, I, you know, we almost said, well, it's almost wrong to put on a show in, in music. And I'm kind of like, I don't know about that because if I'm paying a ticket, like, so you're talking about like winter jam or you go to a festival, when I go to a festival, man, I want to go, I want to go see somebody that can play. So it's, it's both a balance of the ministry they bring. And fortunately there's a lot of great musicianship in Christian music. Um, but that's, that to me is something that like, you got, we got to be careful of because once upon a time, man, like there were some Christian bands that, they could play with anybody. Um, PFR, uh, Whiteheart, like just, you know, Whiteheart, I think at one point had Tommy Sims as their bass player. Uh, John, you know, all these different, like uh, one of the uh, Huff brothers playing, like, and these guys now are all like session monsters in Nashville. So it's, yeah. And so it's like, I would, I would love to see us. And to some degree, we have some that with some bands, but I also, you know, you asking about a live show, like, there is something to be said along with the element that's already there of an awesome spiritual experience. That's one of the things I love about even what Big Daddy Weave does. And the cool thing about Big Daddy Weave is those jokers can play when they let it go. Yeah, they can. Like I've they, seen them multiple they, times. Oh, uh, they get they, they kind of grew up they grew up in the Dave Matthews era. Yeah. And so they got that nasty funk, like and they can unleash the beast. They don't do it a lot, but every now and then it'll, you you'll be like, What in the world is going on right now? <laughs> um you know, so hearing bands like that where, you, where they've just got that in their back pocket, even if they don't always play it, like I, I like knowing that a band can – they can tear it up on stage just doing an instrumental live performance. Yeah, dude. No, the closest thing I would say I've gotten to that would be I've I've gotten to see – and it's remarkable being a 25-year-old that can say this. Thank God he came back a little – he came back and did that. That I mean, it wasn't a reunion tour, but I got to see Garth Brooks twice, like before I moved yeah. down here to Tennessee. And that to me was, I mean, every, it was deafening with how like the whole crowd just singing back a song like, like the river or unanswered prayers. Like you talk about, you were talking about how the nineties guys kind of got it and Vince Gill, especially, I mean, there is that, that Southern gospel kind of influence in there, Uh but you go to a guard show, it's a spiritual experience. I was going to say, I was about to say like you would, I think anybody who has been to that, 
knows there's a spirit. I don't, you know, I don't have words for it, but there's a spiritual element going on. Like I remember hearing one of my buddies when I was in middle school. So this really dates how old I am, but like <laughs> one of my buddies who's like, one, you know, he's kind of one of the tough kids in our middle school, but he went to a Michael Jackson concert and was talking about crying at the concert and he couldn't figure out why. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. But it was just such an overwhelming experience. And he's like, I was crying and I couldn't figure out why I was crying. And we're like, well, that's because you're a sissy, but he really wasn't. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's funny how like there is something about, especially when everybody's singing, and nobody cares about like it's and again, this isn't saying like it's it's a form of worship. And I'm not even saying it's like it's well, that's wrong, they're worshiping Garth. That's not what I'm saying. But there's something going on there that like when you get a bunch of people unified and aimed in the same direction and they're just pouring their hearts out, there's a spiritual thing going on which is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I get and now I, I that helps me understand why having a band in church like really kinda amps things up and it really does because for me i grew up with like there was there was the choir in the back of the church there was the old guy on the organ and it was very traditional you go up you get your little wafer that's the bread and you you dip it in the wine like all that stuff and uh but but going to like i've been to cross point here i've been to been to new spring been to some some different style like different churches or whatever and there is something to be said for like the the production and and having the band there and whatnot so for you like did it do you and also too something this should pop in my head Something I've noticed, and maybe it's it's being down in the Bible Belt now. Almost everybody that I meet, particularly in the country songwriters thing, uh, we always ask, "Hey, how'd you get your start?" And he's like, "Hey, I played in church." Or we ask, "Like, yeah. oh, hey, how'd you get your start?" I sang in church. Like, yeah, there's so I think that's part of the reason that there's so many great musicians down here that come from these areas known as the Bible Belt. It's, yeah. it's introduced so early on, like the Christian like church produces so many, so many great musicians and singers. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's one of my fears um, because churches have gotten so like their production has gotten so slick and they're starting to play with tracks. And I, sometimes I go like, man, don't, I mean, like, I mean, like even Whitney Houston, but you, but somebody's got to give those kids a place to start. And yeah. so I think sometimes we got to be careful. One of the things I love that goes on typically in, in black church culture is like when you go to a, a predominantly African-American church, you'll see a bass player and then you'll see a kid sitting by him. You'll see a drummer and then there'll be a kid sitting by the drummer. And they're literally mentoring people on the stage as musicians. And I, I just go like, as a church, we should always be doing that because just what you said is exactly right. Like, so much of American music was these kids were were given their first shot to play anywhere in the church. And I think if the church ever stops doing that, then we have really screwed up. And it's something that, you know, obviously you preached whenever, you know, you were kind of teaching us and stuff. But it's something that I was taught to whenever I left my church to come to Nashville was, you know, I started off at my church as a bass player. And mm. whenever I wanted to go from bass to acoustic, I had to find – a youth or somebody that was younger than me to play bass. And then I could move to acoustic. Well, then I wanted to move from acoustic to electric. Well, I had to find somebody that was younger to play acoustic so I could move to electric. And then I went from electric to the soundboard and started kind of really crafting what now is my job. And, Mm. uh, once again, I had to find somebody that could play electric. And then when I left to come to college, I had to teach somebody how to run the soundboard and how to run the tech of the church, you know? And it's that thing. That's something so was that, it. What's that? 
Was was that one of your leaders having you making sure you did that? Yes, it was. It was our That's, worship leader saying like, "Hey, if you want to do something else, somebody has to step up and take your place, and they have to be able to do what you're doing." That's a great leader right there, man. Yeah, and you know, That's, even now, like in jobs and stuff, like if I know I'm about to leave a job, like you know, no matter what it is, whether it's retail, whether it's you know, like I've been working in a golf course recently. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm leaving a bar, we're running sound. Like, I've been running sound at bars now since I left Trebekah in 2018. And that's yeah. been kind of my, my hustle. But, like, even whenever I'm leaving a bar and going to another one or leaving a bar and going on the road, like, I I try my hardest to say, hey, this is how I do things. This is kind of yeah. what's expected, even if the boss is saying it or not. Like, it's still – to me, it's my job if I'm leaving to make sure that that person is trained and make sure that they can take over my spot so that it's not a headache for the band to be tr- switching from me to another person, you know? Yeah, dude, and that's th- the art of lo- the, the art of leaving well is a lost art. Yeah. People just don't do that anymore, and they, they, that, that should be like – that should be just a no-brainer. Yeah, absolutely, man. Now, um, you were mentioning going to Belmont, and Tyler was telling me you went. You were at Belmont at the same time as a guy we know in the country format pretty well. Um, and I'm sure there's and there's a lot of folks that have come out of Belmont and stuff like that. Um, the guy we're talking about, of course, Brad Paisley, uh, but oh, also yeah. just being at Belmont. I know today it's it's a staple. Like a lot of kids come to Belmont to yeah. to want possibly do stuff within worship, but for the greater for on the on the greater population, do a lot within music. Whether it's music business or they're songwriters or they're majoring in guitar yeah. or whatever. So, what was your Belmont experience like, and how important is it to have schools like that that are really focusing on music? It was so when I was a sophomore, I think I remember going and seeing this this guy uh, play a showcase. And it was one of those, and I'll tell you, I mean, it, it is Brad, but at the time I didn't know it was Brad. So Brad, by the time he was a sophomore, or I don't know if it was when I was a sophomore or junior, because we graduated the same year, he had already written the fishing song. <laughs> And he'd already written like a couple, like one or two of his other hits. And so you're just sitting there going, and then he'd already playing at a level that wasn't far from what everybody heard on his first, like where he is now. Like he was already, and I just remember going like, I need to find another job. Yeah. If this is who I'm competing against. So it's like, and I think, man, I think coming to Nashville, I think it's, there's so many times I wish I would, I was like, I wish every church musician could go live in Nashville for six months, just to get humbled because man, you know, we musicians anywhere like you live, you know, I'm sure you had in, in New, wherever, where you were in New York, you just got really big fish in tiny ponds. Yeah. And man, they just think they are the stuff. And then you go like, yeah, go live in Nashville for six months, go work at a, go work at a restaurant and find out how many waiters and waitresses can place circles around you. And they're not even the industry. Yeah. And so I just remember like just that whole experience of, guys like brad i mean the cool thing was watching like brad's first touring band was all belmont guys um that's not a fair bar to compare to because now all that like like bernie herms was his pianist bernie's done stuff with david foster and done like big christian music producer but also just produces in in other in other realms as well so these guys were all like it was just a freak show of a band that he went on the road with like it's funny because his producer frank rogers was my ra Oh, no. And for a long no time, I was awesome. just like, I just never, like, I was just like, he, all right, Frank was just a cool RA. 
Like I had no idea he was a producer yeah. and a high level producer. So just being around that, you just kind of go like, like what all these people have all these secret powers. And I just thought they were just hanging around my campus and they're like high level master level musicians. Yeah, dude, that's, that's, that's a lot. And that's something that I noticed too. I mean, coming, coming from, coming from New York down to Nashville, obviously this, this is the music city. New York city has got a lot of cool stuff, but yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't have the, the musical community and stuff. And that's one thing I've noticed too, is that the, the community thing and that I, I refer to Belmont as like the B word. Like it's something where if somebody has <laughs> Belmont attached to them, it's, it, it kind of just the networking and the community that comes with it. And I'm sure the same can be said in a way for like for Trevecca, maybe for Vanderbilt yeah. a little bit. I know it's not as much with music. MTSU. Or M- MTSU I know is another yeah. big one or, or lips come to an extent. But, um, but for you, I mean that just the, the alumni base and the network base and stuff has to be so cool to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was cool being there and it was cool coming through that. And, you know, looking back on it now, I do realize like, uh, that was even just graduating with a class and I'm like, yeah, we had some, that was a pretty special class to graduate with. Um, and just being a, you know, they just taught some, they really did. I'm one of, I'm one of those things where it's like, Hey, look, there's, there's some value to going to college for music business because you do, it's really about, you're, you're really paying all that money for a network of people. Um, but I also think, I, you know, and there are plenty of people too that make it in this industry that don't have a college degree. So I'm, I'm one of those people where it's like, man, it's just who works the hardest. It's just yeah. who, like there's, there's, you know, it's funny. I texted, uh, I sent a text out a while back to five of the most successful music producers in Christian music. I was like, I'm just curious, how many of y'all have a college degree? And only one of them had a college degree and it was in like <laughs> Bible. It wasn't even in music. <laughs> wow. And so, and, you know, and all these guys just have their YouTube degree. They've just spent the hours on YouTube and then they just, they just work harder than anybody else. Yeah. And, you know, so I've, you know, and, and we had the same thing at Belmont. You, you, the, the difference between who's successful and as, who was not was the guys that were sleeping in the studio floor between classes because they just wanted to, they were just wanted to be in the middle of it. They're the guys that are successful and the guys who just wanted to have a college experience and thinking that that music business degree would get them a job in the industry are probably doing something else now. Yeah. Absolutely. Tight titles and, 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 and things like that only, only go so far. So, so you've been doing the music thing now for, for a long time. What advice would you give to somebody who's kind of fresh to Nashville or fresh in the Christian world or whatever? What kind of advice would you give to somebody as a writer? Um, be patient, like be like, uh, like keep, I think, man, all we can own is just keep getting better. Like I can't control who listens to my songs. I can't control what happens to those songs. I can only control my craft. So like, it's something I'm constantly trying to just not be as another lazy musician. So it's like, you know, if I can't, I'm, I'm not a, I just, with any kind of digital format, I think my learning curve, I just jumped on too late. So like, I'm, I'm not probably not going to be logic guy or pro tools guy, but I can be better with my, but better with guitar, better with keys because both of those just open different vocabularies musically. Um, even grow better with learning to write lyrics constantly, you know, cause the guys who do this well, uh, you know, they're, they're just so many people in this town that just have a harder work ethic and, and, and people who work hard will always outreach talented people who don't work hard. Yeah. You know, now p- talented people who work hard, they're going to do great too. But like, so I just say like, 
Don't uh, own what you can own, which I think is own your craft. Keep getting better personally. Um, be persistent without being a stalker. Um, yeah, that, that, you know, that, that can be a fine line, by the way. It is. And I think some of that is like you, you're sending something to somebody. Um, you know, that's one of the things we're doing with the class. I'm, I'm teaching at Lipscomb now. And one of the things we're talking about is like, if you're going to use somebody's time, use it well. So if you send them your songs, send them like maybe two, maybe one, nothing more than that. Um, if they give you advice, treat it like gold. And actually, like if it's a song, they say, hey, you need to rewrite this or work on this. Then go do exactly what they said and then send it back when you get it done. Because a lot of times that's what also people are looking for is just being teachable. You know, because you get people like, no, man, people just don't get my art. They don't get it. And it's like, no, you just wrote a bad song. Like, <laughs> Yeah, accept it. Accept that you're, you're right, going to get grow. better. Yeah, you got to grow. And, and we all do it, man. Good Lord. If you saw like some of the most seasoned songwriters in town, if you saw everything they wrote, you realize that a lot, they, they all, we all write crap songs in the midst of great songs. So it's just easier to go, yeah, this isn't a good song. Let's see if I can write something better and not, you know, not, not be precious about it. Like it's, it's just a song. I mean, it's like, yes, I know you love it and you shouldn't write a song that you're not excited about. But the reality is like the best of the best write a lot of really bad songs. And yeah. it's okay. It doesn't crush who you are as a person. You just be like, yeah, it's not a good song. Laugh it off. Go write another one. Yeah. And I think that's honestly like what you're just talking about with like, you know, and it's not a good song. Like, you know, don't take it personally. It was some of the best advice you ever gave me was like, you know, yeah. don't take everything to heart. Like if somebody says, Hey, I don't like that. No, they're not attacking you personally, but that, right. yeah, like that was honestly, like that was some of the best, best advice I think I ever got from you. And it's helped me out a ton, you know, being here. Yeah. Cause man, no, no is a way of life in this town. Right. No, like it's just, it's just, that's, it's a just a no that's a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. Ben, right. you gotta, you gotta get that trademarked, <laughs> my man. No is a way of life in this town. You gotta, it is. It's like, it's yeah. like, you just get, but the, you know, and you kind of, but again, it's not personal and you just kind of go, okay, well, you just, you, talk, you gotta have a little bit of like the, is it Lloyd? Is it Lloyd and Dumb and Dumber? No, maybe. Yeah, it's Lloyd of like, yeah. so you're telling me there's a chance. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> there's got to be that part of you that's like the eternal optimist of going, cool, not a, not, okay, not a good song, but I got another one. Can I? It's like, <laughs> yeah. You just can't let that stuff beat you up. Yeah, for sure. Hey, are your, are your kids getting involved in music? They are. Um, I've got a son who he is the one that's at Belmont. Um, like he's so good guitar wise, like he would never let me play in his band. Like he's he's a legit like he's a legit guitar player. Awesome. And then I've got a daughter who's a senior in high school, and she's uh, she's she's a great voice. Kind of one of those where we we haven't we can't really even take credit for it. Um, but she has one of those where it's like just believable old soul type, and she's just got it, you know. And I'm her parent, so I know I'm biased. But like when I hear her saying, I'm like, I believe that, like. So it's kind of cool to watch that. And, um, you know, my son right now, I've got a freshman who's, he was playing drums for a while, but now he's more into football. Uh, he's playing at Franklin high school and he's, he's my, he's my one kid that like, he just loves contact. Like he likes yeah. hitting <laughs> yeah. and he likes being hit and <laughs> he just, he just built and wired for it. And it's fun to watch. Cause I was such a sissy when I was a kid. So when you have a kid that like, just likes to lay it on somebody, you're like, yeah, that's, 
<laughs> that's nothing like me, but that's awesome. That's my boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're my boy, Blue. That's awesome. I can take no credit for that, but that is my son. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. You got you got anything else going on the rest of this year? What what have, what's what's kind of your out your your outlook as far as stuff? You got got anything like that you're that you're pushing? Anything you want to plug while while we got you on here? Man, I don't. One thing I do, um, I am t- I've I've been taking on just I do one-on-one mentoring with writers, and if I if that's if I had anything to plug, I'd be like I'm. I'll take on students, and the difference of what I'm doing is just that I'm actually teaching, but also writing with you. Okay. Uh, that was one of the things I figured out uh, is you know, if and if you're just to use an athletic uh, comparison, like you can go through all the training you want, but until you play up. So it's like if you're playing basketball, until you just play ball with people that are better than you are, you're not going to get better. And so right. as a writer, man, I was always, you know, when I was a student and going to all these songwriting boot camps, like, I, you know, it was cool hearing all these people teach about songwriting. But really where I learned the most is when I actually started sitting down with writers and, and writing with them and kind of going, oh, so that's so that's one of the things I do. You know, I do like an, it's an it's an hourly fee type thing, but I'll do mentoring with other writers and I think that probably the difference of what I'm doing is that it's like, but I'm actually offering to write with you and help. You know, so a lot of times what we'll do is somebody just brings their song into it, just a song start, and then I'll work with them and and teach as we go. But I'm I'm also helping them write the song because a lot of the times what I feel like inexperienced writers just don't know where the gold is in an idea, and so it's like sometimes they'll build the whole house of the song on the wrong idea, but there'll be one line in the song where you're like, no, 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 burn all that down. That line right there, that that line is money. Build the whole house on that line. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And so people just don't have eyes to see it. So it's, so for that, I mean, I don't even have a website. I just tell people just DM me on Instagram or message me on Facebook, and we just go from there. Awesome, man. Awesome. That's great. What One last thing. 2020 as a songwriter, weird time. Have you gotten used to Zoom writing yet? Dude, I love Zoom writing because I'm an introvert. So, <laughs> ah. <laughs> see everybody that we've had on this year, we've it's been kind of like fifty fifty. Some people they're saying they're like in person, they got it, they got to have the vibes. And there's other people that are like, hey, music music row kind of messed up letting us write songs over a screen. We don't got to go to Sixteenth Avenue anymore. We <laughs> right. can stay at home. We can, we right. can, yeah. It's like, man, as far as you know, I may not even be wearing pants right now, and I'm writing a song, dude. Dude, exactly. it's, the, it's, the ca- it's the classic news anchor stuff, you know? You don't know what's right, going right. on underneath the desk. <laughs> don't ask, don't tell. Hey, um, amen to but that. But yeah, I mean, I, like, I, love, I love Zoom writing because it's like, it's just, it's laid back. And there is, there is kind of a cool business sense because it's like, you know, if I'm hanging out in a room with you, which I do love the hang, but sometimes it ends up being like an hour and a half of the hang. Or is there something about like when we're on Zoom, we're kind of like, okay, hanging's awkward, so let's just get to the right because yeah. hanging on Zoom is just awkward. Like there's just no, yeah, there's no great way to do it. So you just kind of get down to business and go. And that's kind of what we've been hearing a lot of is like you know those three hour rights are coming down to an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Yeah, and, and you're getting stuff done. Yeah, and you're getting more into your day if you want it. You know. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Like I feel like for every industry, because I like. Uh, over at uh, Franklin Bridge, I was doing the driving range there quite a bit, and like I'm listening to dudes doing business deals as they're just hitting golf balls, and I'm like going, "Why not? Like, yeah, you ain't got to be in office, and you can be. You got your little. No, you know, I've your literally phone in. I've literally been at the golf course and like been 
getting somebody set up on their tea time and everything. And like, they're on the phone, like finishing a business deal while they're like yeah. paying me to go golf. Yeah. Ben, Benji, yeah. Benji, you, how's your golf game? Well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm much better than I've been. Like I'm shooting like my, I'm happy right now if I'm in low nineties. Hey, that's right. That's right where I'm at, bud. That's, I, yeah, I feel like it, that. But it took like, it literally took me being, I kind of use one of the things I did with COVID is I'm like, you know what? You have to just spend a, a certain amount of time on the range every day actually building a swing. Yes. There has to be a period in your life where at least for three to six months, you just actually get intentional about building your swing. So I finally figured out the mechanics of my swing to where it's not like rolling the dice and it's not like witchcraft and sorcery every time I play where it's like, <laughs> well, I might I might hit it well today. I might not. Like now I can kind of go, oh, I'm okay. okay I'm, I'm slicing. Let's, let's tweak that and let's get it. And you know, I'm smart. I can straighten it out now. Yeah. Yeah, see, I still haven't straightened out my slice. I aim to the like the woods to the far left, and it just hooks all the way across. You just play the slice, baby. But then the the one or two times that you do hit it straight, that <laughs> ball is gone, man. See ya. I, I know you play cheekwood uh, quite often, but I know on like hole, I think it's five where the houses are on the right. Oh, Without yeah. fail, I like hit one as you're doom. Smash and I'm just like, yeah. oh, man, I just hit oh, somebody's house for paid. like. The fourth time in a row. <laughs> couldn't pay me to live on a golf course, dude. I mean, I would love it. As an old guy in Florida, I might do it one day, live on a golf course and just say, screw it all, I'm going to go golf. But, like, the insurance you got to have for when guys like me get on the oh, course and you're just yeah. like, doink, doink, doink. We'll have to all get on a course one day together here soon. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'd love to. Yeah, it cracks me up on Cheekwood because they've got that, that one hole. They've got the family that will sell your balls back to you. Oh, like, yeah. dude, yeah. Do- <laughs> dude. Do- dollar like, for three awesome. or five. Yeah. So, so I work Thursday mornings, and I always play Thursday afternoon with some guys that work there. And legit, last time we played, I put one four foot into that guy's yard just far <laughs> enough to where I couldn't reach over and scoop it up with my club. And I was uh-huh. just like – and it was like a – I mean, obviously, working on a golf course, I get all my stuff for free. I've got all my clubs right. for he's, free. He's, I've got all my balls for free. He's got the setup, dude. I'll tell you what. But it was like a Titleist Pro V1, so it was like a really <laughs> nice ball, and I was like, I want that back. <laughs> How old do you have to be to work there? Because my son, like, I need oh, dude, to get him got working 16, there. We got 16-year-olds working there all the time. 15? 16. 16, okay. That'll, yeah, be yeah. The, that'll be the magic here where I'm like, you're working at Cheekwood, dude. I don't care if you want to or not. Yeah, and he gets free golf then. And, and he gets free golf, and there you go. Father, son, bonding, golf well, he's, he's 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 learning. Like He's one of those where I'm like, man, if you'll just learn your swing early and not so you don't spend the rest of your life unlearning, you'll be you'll actually enjoy this well, game. Well, see, I didn't even start playing until August. Like, never hit a golf ball on a golf course till August. So it's something that's bit me pretty well. <laughs> the bug bites yeah. hard in COVID, I'll oh, tell yeah. you what. Oh, yeah. Boy, it does bite hard. <laughs> absolutely. Especially well, when it's free. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Well, Benji, man, thank you for hanging out. Where can people go to find you? Uh, they can find me on Instagram uh, and Facebook, Benji Cowart. Uh, pretty pretty low-key. Um <laughs> Not much, man. Don't have a website. I got you, man. Well, hey, it would be it would be a pleasure to one get on the golf course, but two, we do those writers rounds over at Live Oak, and we have never dove into the the Christian worship round. It would be really cool to have you come and play one of those over at. Yeah, uh, dude, I would love to. It was funny. I played. uh, I got a a random, and it's not because I earned it, but a friend of mine just happened to be the guy coordinating Bluebird. Okay, so I got to play at Bluebird one night. Damn! But like, it was so funny because I was. You know, he's he, he's the guy that uh, is, his name's Brian White and he's had some big country songs. So he's and he's just on. He's hysterically funny, really knows how to run a right, like do a writer's round. And I, I finally was just like, dude, 
I said, with my songs and everything I'm saying, like, I feel like I'm the guy that somebody tells a joke and I'm the guy that's talking about starving kids in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like for writers around with a bunch of country writers, I'm like, how do I do this without being that guy, without just being like the heavy bomb on everything? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. It'd, be, it'd be an honor to, to have you have you on there, man. Well, thank you so much to uh, to Mr. Benji Cowart for hanging Tyler. That was that was awesome, bro. Yeah, man. Benji's a great guy. Like, it was cool to be under him for a couple of years and just like to soak in all the knowledge that the man has. Like I, I, I've told him before, you know, like I feel like he really saved me probably a decade of really trying to figure out this town and figure out writing and the music scene just in the two years that he was able to teach us. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Well, um, guys, this has been another edition of the In The Round podcast. Remember, support our friends at Trailside CBD Emporium. They've got all your CBD and hemp needs. Um, Y'all go check them out. 20% off with the promo code ITR. They've got that rewards program going as well. So you become a customer, they will reward you. And also don't forget to uh, hit up our boy Well Tell Media if you need any video or photo shoot. Yeah, Wales is the guy. Uh, photos, videos, you're getting hitched. You get, hell, even baby pictures, whatever. Wales has Photo got shoots you. just because. Photo shoots just because. Um, y'all go hit up our boys at Whale Tail Media Company. Thank you guys for listening. This has been another edition of the In the Round podcast.